Welcome to Forever Leads. Hello and welcome to Forever Leads, the podcast for anyone who's been a student at Leeds or wants to be one. All brought to you by the advancement team here at the University of Leeds, where I noticed on my way in the odd students had replaced their winter coat now with a spring jacket, but only the brave few. I'm Rich Williams, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Georgia Lay. Georgia, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good, thanks. What is the big thing going on at campus at the moment? So some of the listeners may remember seeing posters around the union for the lead exec. So that's what's going on at the moment. The debates are on Monday trying to decide who's going to be the exec for the next year, which is all picked by the students. I believe voting's open at the moment so people can go and vote, which is very exciting for everyone that's here. Besides that, I was on at least student radio this morning doing breakfast. So lots of my voice today. But other than that, yeah, sun's out finally bit more of a golden glow on campus uh the gray is slowly fading away uh, much <laughs> much to everyone's enjoyment yeah. i gotta pick you up on your breakfast show because i was also doing a, a, a radio breakfast show in yorkshire this morning from six until ten what time was your breakfast show nine to eleven only a student yeah. breakfast show would start at nine o'clock i have to <laughs> say and it's been bigger because um princess of wales Kate Middleton was on campus not that long ago as well. She but you was. didn't get to see her. Sadly not. She kind of just arrived and no one knew she was coming. So I'm sad I didn't get to spot her. But she was here, yeah. Can't believe the host of Forever Leads did not get, get the nod in advance. That's outrageous. Agreed. Okay, Georgia, what is coming up on this month's show? We've got so much on today's show. We've got a treat in store for anyone who read Union News, Leeds Student or The Griffin, because we have a bumper student newspaper edition with five former editors chatting about their times at Leeds Uni. And it's filled with some very surprising tales. We will also speak to cutting-edge University of Leeds physicist Professor Helen Gleeson about how, get this, liquid crystals are transforming how we see. It is not to be missed. And if that sentence has blown your mind, you can tweet us. We are at Leeds Alumni. We'd love to hear about the time you spent at Leeds and you can tell your friends all about us and spread the word. Plus, remember, there is a new episode of Forever Leeds out every month during term time. So if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your audio. Now, in a Forever Leads first, we have a multi-alumni mega interview where the guests have one thing in common. They have all been editors of Leeds Student, or as it has been known since 2014, The Griffin. On our all-star lineup is podcaster Andrew Harrison, celebrated author Adam Labor, The Guardian's Washington Bureau Chief, David Smith, The Guardian's Midlands correspondent, Jessica Murray, and my predecessor, former Forever Leads host, Alba Goskova. They reminisce on the biggest stories they broke and how the newspaper we all know and love empowers students to have a voice. If you studied at Leeds at any time since the war, you will know the familiar feeling of holding the university's very own newspaper in your hands. Scoops from the university campus, sports results, gossip, gig listings, personal ads... Even in the 1980s and in flagrant contravention of copyright, the TV listings, it had it all. Whether you knew it as Union News or Leeds Student or more latterly, The Griffin, it was an integral part of student life and still is. 
and an incubator of journalistic talent for the future. Everybody from the Mail's Paul Dacre to the BBC's Nicholas Witchell to Observer food critic Jay Rayner has occupied the editor's seat. My name's Andrew Harrison. I was editor of the Leeds Students in 1988 and 1989, and I've got some of my predecessors and successors with me. Now, can everybody please introduce themselves as if they're on University Challenge? Hi, I'm Alba Goskova, and I'm the current editor of The Griffin. My name's David Smith. I was editor of Leeds Student from uh, 1996 to 97, and prior to that was a, a news editor and a sketch writer and deputy editor. I'm now based in Washington, D.C. in the United States. I'm the Washington Bureau Chief of The Guardian. Hi, my name is Jessica Murray. I was the editor of The Griffin from 2016 to 2017, um, and now I'm The Guardian's Midlands correspondent. Hello, my name's Adam Labore. I was the editor of Leeds Student from 1983 to 1984. After that, I became a foreign correspondent, but returned back to London in 2019 with my family. And I'm a freelancer. I do a lot of editorial training and the odd bit of writing. So I'm going to ask everybody, you know, how did you start working for the paper? What, what, what made you want to start and what, what was it like working there? So I, I knew going to university that I really wanted to do journalism. I was studying English literature. Um, so it was just natural kind of, you know, obviously have to sign up to the student paper. But I remember being so scared and nervous going to the first meeting and standing outside the door. And then some girl kind of just come in and looked at me and walked straight past me and went in and shut the door behind me and standing outside really awkwardly and having to really like summon up the, the nerves to go in. And then I found it so baffling that four years later, I was editor-in-chief of that same paper. So yeah, for me, it was just, there was no question I was always going to join the student newspaper when I went to uni. I had a similar experience. The first person I met there was Jay Rayner, and he's obviously quite an imposing fella. Adam, how about you? Well, I always wanted to be a journalist. It sort of loops back, I think, many years ago to when I read The Road to Wigan Pier by George Orwell and Homage to Catalonia. And I realised that I wanted to be able to report like he does to capture a place and capture a time and also stir some feelings of even outrage at the way that people are living and all the terrible things that are happening in the world. So I was always locked on to be a journalist. So it was just natural for me that I would go to lead student. How about you, David? Were you terrified on the doorstep of the lead student office? Yes, I was very nervous. Everybody seemed so big and grown up and professional. And I was some kid just out of school at my school, which was near Bristol, I had got a taste for journalism and helped set up a school newspaper, which was, you know, involved scissors and glue and photocopying machines and writing esoteric articles. So when I arrived at university, I knew straight away, like the others here, that uh, I wanted to get involved in the student newspaper. And I remember showing up and being amazed that they'd already actually produced an issue for intro week. So I was behind the curve. But uh, yeah, went, went to the first meeting. Can't remember what my first story was. And it, yes, it was all pretty intimidating, but quickly a lot of fun at the same time. So I want to ask you all, and Albert, perhaps because you're doing the job right now, what have been your scoops? What have been the big stories that you've, that you've got? Well, recently, yesterday was actually a print date for us, so it was very exciting. We had a story on the evacuation of Eldon Court, which I think most current students know that it's an accommodation right near the university. And students had to be evacuated very quickly because I think the accommodation failed the fire and uh, safety concerns um, and the examinations that they do. And yeah, that was very interesting. That was very recent. But it's us, like, we are here to empower the students and give them a voice and a platform. 
There you go. It's proper student service journalism. It's interesting to me how the same things recur because obviously I was there at the end of the 80s and I remember covering the campaign against student loans. And one of the blocks of flats spelled out the words no loans in the lights of the window, which made a very impressive, you know, the whole block of flats made a very impressive front page thing. But there was loads of occupations. The same kind of stuff uh, uh, recurs. How about you, Jess? So some of the front pages ranged from a gunman who'd shot someone and then went into hiding in a halls of residence to the university cutting funding for library resources for different departments. Trump was elected during the year that I was there, so we had a front page on him. I was quite surprised at the wide sort of range of stories that we did, actually. I've got to say, when you are elected to be the editor of the, of the student paper, and you did have to stand for it, it is incredibly exciting, and you kind of feel like you've been given the keys to the kingdom. I want to ask each of you, what, what did you want to do with the paper when you, when you took over it? Jess, what, what was your vision? I remember, oh God, it's, this all sounds a bit vague and wishy-washy, but I remember I just wanted to sort of get it out to students a bit more, as in, I felt like when you picked up the paper, they, we covered quite a lot of just national stories that you would have probably read maybe a few days mm. before and on the BBC website or something. So it was all about sort of trying to bring it back down a little bit and, and make it, you know, I remember our first kind of um, splash was about some sort of festival that was at Tetley Brewery in Leeds, which had been a disaster, overcrowding. And the headline was something like, you know, they couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery type <laughs> thing. And it was just meant to be a bit more like, let's just make it a bit more fun. Let's just make yeah. it a bit more student orientated rather than kind of trying to compete with, you know, the BBC, the Guardian, the Nationals. Like, mm. We're not that. We are a student newspaper and let's try and make it that. So I think that's kind of what I wanted to do. Alva, when you stood for editor, what was your pitch? What, how did you electrify the voters? As the other said, I think it's very much about bringing it down a bit and making it a bit more local. I did journalism at uni and the big focus was giving local stories out there and telling students something that they won't read on a big national newspaper. I think that was what drew a lot of people in, but also making the editor team and the writers team a lot more diverse and a lot more representative of the whole student body, which... I think is a big current problem in journalism and the media in general. Even though we're just a small student newspaper, we're trying to reflect a bit more diversity in our team and that subsequently reflects in what we do as well. Yeah. So in your time on the paper, was was there an illustrious future company? When I was there, I had obviously Jay Rayner, but also Kamal Ahmed, who went on to become news director at the BBC. Andy Pemberton went on to edit Q magazine, Adam Higgin, both of them went on to write fantastic book, Midnight at Chernobyl. Who had illustrious contemporaries? I went on later to work uh, for Kamal Ahmed at The Observer, ah. by the way. Got, got to know him pretty well. And certainly a few years before me, I think Alison Phillips was editor as well, wasn't she? Who's now editor yeah. of Daily Mirror. But um, yeah, in, in my time, the three editors I worked with uh, all went on to big things in, in the media. For example, one of them, uh, Tim Gallagher, became um, Washington bureau chief of uh, Sky News. Owen Gibson, who's now deputy editor of The Guardian. You know, The Guardian and Observer alone have several people who I work with at Leeds Student. It is amazing. You go and cover a story, you, you bump into someone from Leeds Student or you um, read something online and it's, it's, it's by someone you, you knew at the time. It really is a, you know, a, a factory of, of talent and definitely punching above its weight. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really great thing to see. You know, there, there are so many people now in the national media who were there. I was able to staff up several music magazines with Leeds people, and I was accused of using a Leeds mafia to uh, to fill the jobs. Nothing wrong with that. 
Alba's contemporaries, of course, will be illustrious in the future because she's still working on the paper right now. But Adam, when I was there, certainly people would talk about uh, in hushed tones about when Adam Labor was editing the paper. Who were your uh, Titanic contemporaries? I guess the big one would be Jonathan Calvert. He's head of uh, Insight now mm -hmm. at the Sunday Times. And my contemporary was uh, James Mates, ah. uh, who uh, we worked on the paper together. And uh, he went straight from lead student to ITN, where he's now, I think, he's diplomatic editor. So that was nice because I hadn't seen him for many, many years. And in 2015, when I was spent most of my career as a foreign correspondent, and much of that as a foreign correspondent living in Budapest and covering Central and Eastern Europe. And uh, I was still there then, and that was when Hungary became the epicenter of the refugee crisis. So uh, we finally met on a, on a story. We hadn't met for a long time, but that was a, a very nice reunion that evening. We'll be rejoining our editors very soon. But now, most of us have probably heard of transition lenses, the glasses that change from light to dark, depending on how bright the room is. But Leeds Professor of Physics, Helen Gleeson, OBE, has taken this idea one step further. This is incredible. Using liquid crystal technology, she's invented contact lenses that can adjust as if you've just put on reading glasses, effectively making losing your spectacles and finding them on the top of your head a thing of the past. So, Helen, firstly, welcome to Forever Leads. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. When I was first looking at this and I saw LCD, liquid crystal displays, LCD, I'm thinking TVs. That's what I'm thinking straight <laughs> away. And other bits and bobs where you find LCD. So it might be worth just explaining, first and foremost, exactly what liquid crystals are. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a good starting point. So liquid crystals are fluids. That's the liquid bit. And the special properties they have is that they're, they're fluids in which their physical properties depend on the direction you look at them in. And that's the crystal part. So it's not that there's any solid in there. It's, it's, it's that they are fluids which, as you look at them from different directions, behave differently. So out of all of the objects in the planet, why was it you chose contact lenses specifically to put these crystals in? Okay, so this was a really serendipitous path that I followed. And it was actually a colleague of mine who is an optometrist. So he, he works in the university as well, Professor Philip Morgan, and his speciality is contact lenses. So he knew that one of the big needs in the contact lens community happened when you got past the age of 45 and you started to need reading glasses. So if you were wearing contact lenses, they weren't good enough anymore because your near vision starts to, to need need that extra help. And, and he realized that, that liquid crystal materials with their properties could potentially offer a solution. So, so the idea was that, that you take something that, that looks like a lens, that looks like a contact lens, but then you arrange to have some liquid crystal material in there. And by applying a voltage, you can change the way the light travels through the lens and that changes the focus of the lens. So it was him actually who came to me and said, Helen, do you think you could make these? And I said, well, I don't know, but let's let it go. <laughs> you didn't go straight back. Going, sure, I'll have some, have some for you tomorrow. Not <laughs> yeah, a problem. Sounds like an interesting question. Yeah. It, it's really clever. And uh, I'm a former contact lens wearer and I haven't quite got to the age yet where that might become an issue. But I guess it's a similar thing for varifocals as, yeah. as well. How do you make this work in contact lenses? What was the process yeah. from, right, this is an idea. We think this could work to the point you're at now. In the contact lens, there were a number of things that we needed to be able to do. 
And the first thing was to have the contact lens that included liquid crystal still thin enough to go on your eye. We had to be able to put the liquid crystal material in it and constrain it in the right starting point, if you like, and that's in the same way as, as, as we do in an LCD in a, in a TV. So we had to be able to do that. And then we had to be able to apply a voltage to it and change that orientation, but tune that so that we got the right amount of change. So what we were actually doing was taking a lens that might be correcting for, for distance vision. And if I take my own very sad eyes, that would be a lens that's about minus 4.5 but you need to add something like one and a half or two diopters for the near vision for the reading. And so we had to design both the material to have the right optical properties and the liquid crystal lens bit of it to have those same optical properties that we could switch between the two. So there's a lot of neat engineering went on there. And, and there was a really good student I had working with me who did a lot of the legwork there, let me just say. Yeah. How long was this process to do this? I mean, there must have been a lot of trial and error. You don't just do the yeah. first one and then off you go. How long a process has this been? Yeah. So from when Phil first came up with the idea, the first thing we had to do was get some funding so that we could actually get the student in so that he could, you know, we had some hands in the lab to actually try the different things. That took us about 18 months to get some funding for that. Then we recruited Harry, Harry Milton, who did a fantastic job in coming up with different options. Um, so he did a bit of a design study that was probably another 18 months. And then we started reducing it to practice. And, and actually, we were, we were very, one of the things that was very important for us was that we had some sponsorship from a bespoke contact lens company. So they made the inner and the outer bit of the contact right, lens okay. so that we could then make our liquid crystal sandwich, which is effectively the geometry. But yeah, I mean, to get our first one, well, we still had wires attached, by the way. And of course, we had to think about how to get rid of the wires. Not the best look. No one wants <laughs> wires dangling out of their eyes. That's, that's for sure. But our first, you know, sort of um, bench top contact lenses, it probably took us, it probably took us three years to get to that point. Do you feel there's an estimated date maybe where they might be available to the public and on shelves for people to buy? Well, so this is this is then another interesting part of the story. And this is, you know, when 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 as an academic or an academic team you come up with an idea, what happens next and how do you mm. get it on, onto the market? Um so, you know, that knowledge transfer process is incredibly complicated and 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 you know, sadly it's 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 dotted with pitfalls. So we patented the idea, so that was great, and we did get some funding for about another five years worth of research, and we spun a company out. The company was called Dynamic vision systems. And that was all going very swimmingly. They got to the point in the company where they actually had got all of the electronics that was needed onto the contact lens. So we, we didn't have the wires anymore. There was a remote control facility. And sadly, COVID happened. And yep. it was just at the point that the company needed its next investment. And so no one was investing at that point. This was very lab-based. It was very uh, intensive. So it was one of the, the casualties of, mm. of COVID. That's the bad news. The good news is that what happened as a consequence of that is that that knowledge and the know-how that we put out there is available for anyone to use. And, and we knew that at the time we were developing this, other contact lens companies were really interested. Mm. And I think that what they may, you know, what I hope they'll do, because I still need them, I need them more <laughs> than ever. Um, what I hope they'll do is is pick that up and do it anyway, mm. you know, and, and because the patents lapsed, it's free for anyone to use now, that technology. Yeah, it is one of those things when you hear about it, it's like, this is a total no-brainer. Like that, yeah. that 
makes sense in in so many ways that people would have have access to that kind of thing. One of the great things about this podcast and about showcasing what's happening at the university is that you know we have leading researchers, leading professors like like yourself here. You've had an OBE for your work as well, and also your contributions to teaching in the the Times Higher Education supplement as well. Like I said, I don't want to don't want to embarrass you, but you are based here at Leeds. What is it about Leeds that you want to be here? You want to be doing this world leading research in this particular location. One of the things that that is just really amazing about about working at Leeds is first of all we've had a fantastic investment in our labs. We're in the new Bragg building. Um, you know that's that's amazing. Uh, we've got some of the best labs in the world, I think, actually for doing our work. But the other thing that makes a big difference, and you know, would you expect anything different in Yorkshire? Everyone's very nice and collegiate. And so, you know, the work I'm doing now isn't just about understanding liquid crystals. It's about understanding polymers and plastics and and other aspects. And people are always really welcoming and enthusiastic about, you know, if you say, well, I don't know enough about that. Could you just help me with this? Could I could I use your kit to measure this property? Leeds is a very special place. And I think the people at Leeds don't realise how special it is because it's very easy to do that. And so that that's what's made a difference. You know, it's it's a very multidisciplinary um, project that, that we've got. And, and, and actually, um, you know, the, the whole environment at Leeds is, is something that supports that, that kind of activity. Amazing. Thank you so much for for joining us on Forever Leads. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I'm about 10 years away from the contact lenses, so no pressure. But if, uh, you know, we could get them by then, that'd be that'd be absolutely smashing. <laughs> hey, look, I need them now. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Professor Gleeson, for, for joining us here on the podcast. Complete pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Now let's go back to our editors, Andrew, Alba, David, Jessica and Adam, to hear more about what life was like behind the front page. Whether it's called the Griffin, Union News or Leeds Student, the Union newspaper has always been a foundry of talent, as we've been hearing. And our panel went on to do great things themselves. I have to confess, I went to Leeds because of the Leeds Student, because it had the reputation as the best paper. And I thought, I'm going to go there. I'm going to edit that thing. And I did. And it was one of the happiest times that I've ever had. It was hard work, though. And I want to ask, I did a 36-hour shift once. Did anybody else see the sun come up? Has anybody else woken up in the lead student office surrounded by crisp packets thinking, why did I choose this? What what the listeners can't say is David is nodding vigorously here. Yes, done, done all of that. I mean, it totally dominated my life in Leeds. For the better, as you say, it was tremendous fun, joyous, and a, a memory I always treasure. And, and maybe partly because it was so all-consuming. I mean, I, I spent way more time and energy on lead student than I did on my degree or or any kind of social life. And yeah, the, the real grind, I mean, sort of stay up very late on Tuesday night, but then the real grind, I mean, basically every Wednesday night, we would always pull an all-nighter, you know, be there from 10 a.m. on Wednesday until 10 a.m. on Thursday or, or later. And, uh, and yeah, just this kind of Herculean effort to, to stay awake with lots of coffee and not much food uh, other than ice cream from the dispenser downstairs even <laughs> in winter. Although, uh, McDonald's was not far away, and that was uh, that was glorious sort of McDonald's breakfast as the sun rose, you know, six a.m., seven a.m. Or, or whatever. And I remember um, sometimes I would go, but others would then, in those days, deliver a, a hard drive to printers in in Sheffield. And if, if it, that wasn't me, I would kind of collapse, desperately need of a, a shave and a shower and so on. Nightmarishly, sometimes I would have to go straight from pulling an all nighter to you know a lecture or a, a seminar, and you know. 
I have nasty memories of sitting in a seminar on English literature, about 12 of us, and I'm, I'm literally falling asleep right in front of the tutor. So that wasn't great. But, but, but yes, many, many hours uh, in, that, in that room, which I treasure now. I treasure the memory. I think uh, Alba runs a much more disciplined ship. I think she was saying that, uh, is, Alba, is it a little bit more civilized hours now? Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I've done a few 12 hour shifts, not going to lie, usually before we print and all that, but I haven't yet, yet seen the sunrise in the Griffin office. <laughs> 12 hours. I call that a holiday, a 12 hour shift. <laughs> so just in closing then, like I say, it was like one of the happiest times of my life and certainly more fun than should have been allowed. I want to just ask each of you, what is your happiest memory of the paper? Oh, I mean, I feel like I'm just repeating what David's just said, but I do feel like those all-nighters where you're there and it's four o'clock in the morning and you're just surrounded by pizza boxes. And I think, I mean, I loved it, but there was always this sort of like low level of panic where you did just feel like you were completely making it up as you went along, which we, we were because, I mean, I hadn't had any formal journalism training at that point, but I guess that was kind of the fun of it, really. So, yeah, I think just that that general you know, being in the office with everyone, you know, kind of freaking out, but sort of enjoying the fun of it and then going home, getting a couple of hours sleep and then and then coming back and having to distribute the papers around campus the next day went on like two hours of sleep. It was, yeah, it was, it was just really, really fun. So I think that for me is my favourite memories. Adam, what's your stand-up memory? I think it's, it's not a particular incident, but it's just the whole, the year itself of sitting in that room, sitting behind the desk and thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm the editor of lead student, you know, <laughs> and people coming in and holding and hold, you know, having the editorial meetings and, and the paper. I think it was always about the paper arriving and picking it up and flicking it through and walking around the union and everyone's reading it and talking about it. Yeah. And maybe we've stirred something up that week. It was, it's, yeah, it was just a marvelous year. And I remember very clearly uh, speaking to a, a working journalist, and they said this will be the best year of your um, journalistic career, the one you'll enjoy the most. In that way, from my age at that time, and the way that it shaped my future career was absolutely memorable. And yeah, and one of the you know the top two or three years of my career, definitely. I really understand that. A friend of mine called Steve Hicks, who's still a really good mate, was our art editor at the time, and he said, "What you've got to remember is this is the only time in our lives when we'll be able to do exactly what we want." And he was right. David, what was your happiest memory? Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this because it's uh, reminding me what a precious time it was. It really was a, you know, a year like uh, no other. And uh, I'll just very quickly say, I mean, there, there was the sheer absurdity of uh, Chestnut Avenue as Britain's most burgled street, which, you know, is the kind of story that we would write. And then national newspapers would come in and say, this is Britain's most burgled street. And then, and then we would cover what they had written. And so it was this kind of self-perpetuating mythology. And just to echo others, uh, and I think, you know, like, like any enterprise, like a, a troop of actors putting on a play or um, a, a political team running for an election, I mean, ultimately, you know, sort of nothing beats the, the people and the sense of teamwork when you're all very focused on a shared purpose and, and achieving that goal, which we did sort of every week. And it, it sort of felt very intense and uh, exciting. And as Adam says, you know, Many of them were, were volunteers and, and just sort of building that um, solidarity. Um, that's uh, that, that's uh, certainly a memory that lingers. Alva, you're the current version. Has this conversation with all of the former editors inspired you to keep carrying the torch high? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, the Griffin had a few difficult years because of the pandemic, but I think we're coming back stronger and we've had definitely some interesting stories. And 
I think we, at the end of the day, we do what we do. We aim to give students a platform because, as you said, there's loads of talent out there and we aim to give them a platform to get their first foot in the door and do what they enjoy. And that's the end of the podcast. We'll be back in April with more campus news and alumni interviews. But before we leave you... From everyone at the University of Leeds, we want to say a big thank you for your continued participation in the Alumni Network. Your donations support the students here who need you most. Your donations mean that students who might have caring responsibilities or have been in care themselves can be supported throughout their studies. Your money supports scholarships. It encourages those who are the first in their family or area to go to university. And more importantly than ever, they help students to afford the everyday essentials that, of course, have been costing more than ever. When you donate, you really do change the lives of thousands of people. Your generosity also helps to fund the PLUS programme, where dedicated professionals provide students with the support they need to succeed. Alumni donors support those from less advantaged backgrounds to have the same exceptional experiences at Leeds that we've all had. Do you want to support the next generation of students? Make a donation today by visiting bit.ly slash students. That's bit.ly slash students. And that is it for this newspaper special of Forever Leads. I know you've got lots going on because you're in like final project territory. I am, yes. So for my dis, I suppose it is in my degree, I'm writing a script. So it's like a 30 page short film, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's my last semester at Leeds. So it's all coming to an end now. Very sad about it. Oh, what's a sad note? A yeah. Sad, a sad note. Well, um, you'll have to let us know how you're getting on with uh, with that. And it's 30 pages because we were talking earlier, you were saying one page is like one minute in a film. Ish, yeah, close enough. But yeah, so around 30 minute film. Okay, good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. We will see you next month. Forever Leads was presented by Rich Williams and Georgia Lay and produced by Andrew Harrison with Kasia Tomashevich. Audio production was by me, Jay Bailey. Forever Leeds is a Podmasters production for the University of Leeds Advancement Team.